everyone. Thank you for tuning in for another episode of In Conversation with Lisa Burke. It's wonderful to have your presence with me wherever you are in the world, whatever you're doing right now, in the kitchen, on a dog walk, however you take in your podcasts. Please do keep in touch. We always love hearing from you, your ideas, your information, your thoughts on any of the variety of subjects we've had over the months gone by. Now, today we're in for another treat. I've got two gentlemen in the studio with me and we're going to talk about divorce from a male point of view and the inequalities therein. So with me are Patrick Rubinsky. He is the president of FAD, Fathers Against Discrimination, Both Parents for All Children, and Andy Adams, who has also experienced the inequalities of divorce when it comes to child custody and associated issues. Thank you both for joining me. Hi, everybody. It's great to have you here. Now, first of all, I'm turning to you, Patrick. I've read about Fathers Against Discrimination, FAD, set up to create a platform of dialogue, you say, to promote gender equality, to raise awareness of gender parental discrimination in Luxembourg family courts, to ensure that children's rights are respected. And you believe the Luxembourg family law is outdated with regards to divorce and the rights of each parent during custody hearings of children. So tell us a little bit more about why you created Fathers Against Discrimination. Well, first of all, thank you very much for the invitation. I've heard many great things about the podcast, so I'm, I'm glad to be here. Oh, thank you very much. That's very nice to hear. <laughs> um, in a nutshell, the organization has been created to become a platform of dialogue to promote gender equality of chance, to raise awareness of gender parental discrimination in Luxembourg family courts, but most importantly, to assure that children's rights are respected in Luxembourg. And why did you set it up? As you can probably imagine, with organizations such as FAD, there is a personal story behind. I was happily married for nearly 10 years. Again, long story short, the decision has been reached to separate ways with my ex-wife. The experience that I have had in the family court in Luxembourg was not the most pleasant. There has never been any question with regards to the ability of both parents to look after our sons. But the result of the custody proceedings was that I was only allowed to see my sons every second week. And what year was this? The proceedings started 2017. It was right before the introduction of the changes in the Code Civil. But the divorce ended in 2019. Andy, I think you had a similar experience and your divorce was finalised before the 2018 change in the law, which we should elaborate on. So there's two things here. There was a 2015 Council of Europe ruling on this, calling for all EU member states to introduce equal shared parenting as a base for family law. I think it's called CE Resolution 2079-15. It's existed in Belgium and Denmark for a long time. And in 2018, November 2018, there was a change in Luxembourg law equal shared parenting, alternating residence. But you claim that this is not a default law. I think my divorce went through in 2016, so under the old law. But as far as I understand the 2018 ruling, it allowed the introduction of things that were already happening unofficially if both parents agreed. And I think the most chilling thing that happened to me in 2016 was when my lawyer said, assets are split, house is split or sold. But childcare, if you don't agree to propose to the judge to residence alternate in French, the judge will award custody to one party and 70% of the time it will be the mother. If you don't agree to a solution with your wife, 
you have a 30% chance of seeing your kids anything other than every second weekend. That's very, and that, op- that's very optimistic, actually. That, that was what my lawyer told me at the time. And I feel how that chilled me at the time. It's like, y- you're kidding. Because we're both very hands-on parents. There was, in my mind, no question that we would share custody. I found out that there was no shared custody. And if to do it unofficially, we would have to agree to it, both of us. 2018, what I understand is that is a legal possibility and not only an informal agreement, but it still requires both parties to agree to it. It's not the defaults. Inequality is still the defaults. And you can agree to something that's more equal, but it's not the default. So, Patrick, tell us about the evidence that you've seen from the change in the law, which should be alternating residence since November 2018 in Luxembourg. I think it is very important to mention that the resolution 2079-15 has been initiated by a Luxembourgish politician, Madame Françoise Hettogash. So just to remind our listeners, that's the European ruling? That's the, that's the ruling. Well, I wouldn't say ruling, it's just an indication based on all the empirical studies, consensus among psychologists and top researchers and specialists in the field. The Résonance Alternaires, as we call it, joint physical custody of children post-separation or divorce should be the default law across all EU nations. But it's up to the EU country to Absolutely. take it on what board. Is, what is interesting that it was in 2015, until this day, there has been no voting in the Luxembourg Parliament regarding this resolution. So what's the November 2018 well, law? Well, the November 2018, there has been some adjustment in the Code Civil. According to the information that we have, it took nearly 20 years. That really happened independently or in parallel to the 2015 resolution from Council of Europe. The main problem that I think Andy has pointed to is that the divorce proceedings, there is inequality of treatment of parents. And that's the, the main problem because that leads to gender bias rulings of the family courts, which result in discrimination against the other parent. In most cases, it usually is a father. So what have you seen in evidence then well, since 2018 when it should have become more alternating as a rule? Well, the thing is, you know, one of the biggest issues is that there is no statistical data available to public. I've read an article of Luxembourg Vort from August this year where there is an indication that vast majority of custody proceeding has ended in shared custody. I don't believe it. The article just says vast majority. There is no data provided. And based on what I have seen since the creation of FAD, I've read a little over 60 different rulings from anywhere, 2015, 16, 17. I've sat in, until recently, you could actually go to court and listen to the proceedings. Basically, residence alternate is rarely introduced in Luxembourg. Even today? Absolutely. And I don't agree, and I challenge anyone who would tell me otherwise. The shared parenting or the residence alternate of physical joint custody is widely introduced in Luxembourg. That's simply not the case. This is not what is being reported to us. Again, we speak with fathers, mostly fathers, on a weekly, daily basis. We have meetings. First of all, there are 17 judges in family court. Three in Dikish, 14 of them are in Luxembourg. Now, out of those judges, there are a few that tend to introduce residence alternate or the joint custody. But vast majority still are either stuck with the set of mind from the past that the more important parent is the mother. Thus, should there be no agreement, the children should stay with the 
uh, well, in most cases, the mother of the children. And even if we have ruling in the lower instance, then very often these decisions are challenged by the parent that is expected to, to have the custody. And that goes to the Court of Appeal. And in Court of Appeal, it's even worse than it is in the lower instance, because there are judges like Christian Reckinger continuously, continuously introduce gender bias decisions. She copy-pastes the same paragraph from one case to another case. There are judges to believe that a father is biologically unfit to look after children below age six. Well, I see. With that set of mind, it's, I, I, I'm sure you, you must agree, it's a little bit challenging to overcome and really, truly look after the best interests of the children. All you always hear is best interests of the children. Well, the judgments for custody of children is always meant to be made in the best interests of the child, of course. And if you can't come to an agreement between yourself and your ex-partner, I know that the only option is to go via lawyers to court, which becomes complicated, it becomes expensive, and often the children get their own lawyer as well. But without the empirical evidence from psychologists and the data, it's very difficult to know the decisions and how they've been made. For Lisa, example, that's a good point. Sorry to interrupt, but if equality was built into the law in the first place, you wouldn't have to be go looking for evidence to prove whether it's actually happening in reality or not. Yeah, I was just going to say, I don't know psychologically or from a biological point of view, if a child needs its mother, let's say under the age of two and a mother's still breastfeeding, for example. Well, that, that we can agree on that, yeah. Yeah. So at what point do psychologists think there's a mutual benefit for having both parents? And of course, it, it's almost case by case basis because parents are so vastly different. Which one is more at home? Which one's work allows them to be more present around the children through the course of the day? Does one of the parents travel more? Does one of the parents have longer, more intense work hours? So I would also imagine that they have to take into consideration the lifestyles of each parent or how much a parent is going to change their lifestyle in order to be present for the child because being present for your child would also be I think yeah, rather important. It is true in theory and in practice should be the case but I can give you an example in my case I had to leave the house that I was living in and temporarily I, I lived about 10 minutes away from Strassen and the decision was that it's too far. Now we have a case when a mother moved from Kirchberg to Remisch uh, that's perfectly fine. Residence alternate, it's women's right issue. I think it's unfair to women to impose this ideology that women should look after the children, that should be successful in the workplace, they should do everything. And then, on the other hand, the father is being told that that his love for the children, it's not as important or not, it doesn't have the same value. When you go back, you can visit FAD.LU. We have a search engine. You can look for empirical studies and meta-analysis that confirm that the resonance alternate, although there's no perfect scenario, but this is the best and the, the most efficient model to sustain or to keep the emotional stability of children post-divorce. Because the idea still in the eyes on the minds of, of judges is that the physical residency is the most important element to bring stability to the life of the children of divorce. But that's not the case. What is important is the equal, as equal as possible access to both parents. And that is unquestionable. There's not even a dispute over this. But somehow, we simply cannot get through. The judges are immune to the evidence of these empirical studies and research.
Well, you've touched on a number of points there. I understand the feminist line about women's rights. And obviously, if you have alternating residence, it does allow a woman equal time to profit from developing their career, which uh, in other countries isn't always the case. You've also touched on the point of where the father or mother lives and what's acceptable. And I think you have experience of this as well, Andy. In our case, first off, we had to hide what was happening from the children for, I don't know, five, six months because we originally agreed not to tell them what was happening until we had a solution. But because the childcare situation was not clear from the beginning, we hid it from them. When the children finally find out, their first reaction was, which week are we with you and which week are we with mommy? So that was their instant thought. And we couldn't answer that question because either we would lie to them or we would tell them, oh, well, it's not certain. And that would create more instability for the children who just discovered that they thought happily married parents were getting divorced. From that point onward, it did help the process because we did get to an agreement. But once we had the agreement to answer your question specifically, my lawyer said, Since you're moving out of the house, make sure not to move too far away because then the judge may not agree to the agreement even if you and your ex-wife agree to it. RTL Original Podcast. And I know that you have evidence that I've read, Patrick, about the percentages of men that move out of the home. It is usually, for whatever reason, the man who moves out of the home. And another additional point to that is the lack of shelters available no. for men. In fact, there are none there are zero. in Luxembourg, and I think there's about 17 for women. Mm, more or less, depending how you look at the number, depending who is sponsoring. But in general, there's, there's zero shelters for men, fathers with children and boys. This is obviously another topic, but uh, it just A related you, topic. It, it is related, because we have a study, which you can also find on FAD.LU, confirming that uh, there's, most recently, Madame Taina Bofreding has presented her, f- she had a presentation in the Luxembourg Parliament, and she has misled the Parliament, informing that there is over 30, I think, or 28 places for fathers in Luxembourg, which is not true. The study that we have performed confirms how many, I think there are four or five. And we have confirmation of each place for the fathers. So basically, there is no shelter for fathers. Well, I suppose historically, going back into, let's say, a hundred years ago or so, I don't know what the laws or the situation was in Luxembourg, but I know what it would have been in Britain and Ireland, for example. Women didn't have rights, not very many no, at all. And so I, I, just to continue, I think the fact that we have so much available for women now has been a struggle for many, many decades. And I think now things have shifted quite suddenly for men and men are having to fight for their equal rights when it comes to children, for example. But in accordance to the to the report that is on an annual basis presented by the Ministry of Equal Rights Between Women and Men, there's nearly 40% of victims are male, or victims of domestic violence, nearly 40%. So we can argue whether this statistical data is correct or not, but we are only referring to the, the findings of the Ministry of the Police. Where do the men go? It does seem that there's a need for a male shelter to be developed in Luxembourg. And we had a vote. We had a vote in the parliament this year in March. And the coalition currently in power, they rejected the idea of creation of at least one shelter for men. And why was this? When was this? Why was this? 
why. I cannot quote exactly what Madame Bofferding has mentioned or uh, the reasons behind the non-vote of the coalition. The only two parties that voted in favor was CSV and ADR, I believe. So that's still a continuing fight, really. Yeah, it's just another element of discrimination and gender bias approach. There are plenty. It starts, as Andy mentioned, it starts with the unequal treatment of parents during custody hearings. It leads to another thing. It leads to a financial element. Well, let's come on to that. In Luxembourg, since November 2018, there should be alternating residence. But that aside, even in the court system, they ask where is the predominant residence? And that affects all sorts of things like CNS cards, healthcare, yeah. school care. Andy, I think you have recent experience of this. The inequality starts with the childcare proceedings during the divorce and continues on forever. And it's, it's little things that over time also impact the children. If you look at taxation, for example, even if you have uh, shared residence, one parent will be classified 1A and the other one will be class 1, means they're taxed differently. They're not allowed to be equal. No. And that's another consequence. It's a financial consequence. And as I've tried to say from the beginning, you start with inequality and they take measures to make it less unequal instead of fixing the problem. I have to keep a spreadsheet every year because I can reduce expenses related to childcare from my taxes, which can get to, I think, last year, 185 lines in a spreadsheet, like, oh, these expenses, I went to Deleuze and bought groceries for my kids, therefore it's tax deductible. So I finished the 185 lines at the end of the year, I get a tax reduction, which has me paying still more than the other parent who's in class 1A. So it's reducing inequality instead of eliminating it from the beginning. And then, as you mentioned, CNS, we have the bizarre situation at the moment where in my children's situation, I have access to CNS because they are insured CNS through me because my ex-wife is not insured through CNS. But then everything that goes through my guichet, like the COVID certificates, is at the parent who has custody. So both parents don't have Residency, access. yeah, like residency. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, you can't access that document because the children do not live at your address. So it's like I am legally recognized as a father, but I'm legally unequal since our divorce. And it puts more pressure on the children as well because, oh, daddy, can you please get my COVID certificate for me? Oh, sorry, you have to ask mommy for that one because she has legal custody. Oh, daddy, can you download my report card from the school portal? It's like, well, no, because the school only recognizes one parent having custody. So but can't mommy you write have to, to the organize school? that. Could you write to the school and get you, them to email? Report? It's legal. It's that I, we can only I, communicate directly with the person with I legal to, custody. Yeah, I had to do it. I had to inform pretty much everyone. That the thing is that in accordance with the system as it is for the time being, my children, although they live with me 50% of the time during the calendar year. Which you had to fight for. Of course, for two years nearly. And it costed me a little over 45,000 euro. In accordance with the CNS system, any national uh, system, um, they don't live with me. They are only visiting with me. And because of that, any father or any parent who does not have the legal residency of the children cannot claim the children, cannot ask for subsidies, for financial aid. Legally, in accordance with the social policy, I am not allowed to obtain CNS cards of my children. The cards are only sent to the residential address. And if there's conflict between parents, it took me nearly two years to receive the cards. And finally, it was sent to me because there's absolutely no reason why. Especially they are assigned, just like Andy's children are assigned to me in CNS, but I cannot have the cards. It's an everyday struggle. Although you have the children with you, and they live with you, in accordance with the system, they're only visiting. 
Andy, going back to you, we've spoken about the children in the system and I know it personally as well, but at what age does the child's voice matter? At what age do they get heard in court? There is no law, I can tell you. It depends. You ask any lawyer, they'll tell you it could be 12, but then it depends on the judge. It's absolutely essential. I'm sorry, maybe you... you it's absolutely I, essential for the children to be able to speak. But at the same time, children cannot decide for themselves. I give you my personal example. You know, I've provided evidence. There has never been any question of the ability of both parents to look after the children. But no one wanted to look into it. And only because my 10-year-old son, out of frustration of inability for him to spend as much time as he used to with me, or at least 50% of the time, he wrote a letter to a judge. And you know that that letter that was sent to a judge, because he asked me, what can I do? And I said, well, my lawyer, my counsel told me, well, he could write a letter. And he wrote a letter. And because of the letter, the children's lawyer was introduced and the whole game changed. It takes a 10-year-old boy's letter for the judge to recognise that there potentially might be a need. But it's good that at least the voice of the child was heard. But it's actually now, in according to the law, if a judge receives a letter from a child, he or she is obliged to mandate a children's attorney to see the child. They have 30 days to do so. So if a child is choosing, for whatever reason, to live mostly with one parent... What rights does the other parent have? You mentioned something there. The child doesn't always know what's best for them. And if a child is just through their own anger, frustration, not knowing what's going on in their life, always resorts to one parent. I wonder if that could create parental alienation and what can be done about that? We know that we have cases where there are teenagers going through some struggle and obviously the stress associated with the separation of the parents that can influence their judgment and their opinion. Children should be heard, but children should not decide. And whether they're teenagers decides for themselves that this month they would prefer to stay with the mom and next month prefer to stay with the father. In the residence alternate, shared parenting, physical joint custody, it's the best way to prevent parental alienation from taking place. In general, the parental alienation takes place in cases where there is limited contact between one of the parents and the child. But have you got any recourse to legal access if you feel parental alienation is taking place against you? What rights do you have as a parent to try to access your own child? Parental alienation is being questioned by, by many members of the legal system. As something that's not true? Correct. Andy, turning to you, I know that you're now through your process, but there are still consequences lingering in your everyday life when it comes to taxation, CNS cars, reports, all the rest. If you could wave a magic wand and if you could reflect on the process that you had to endure, what would have made it better? And what do you think now should be put in place as the best outcomes for the children and for both parents, the fairest outcomes? It's interesting because I obviously didn't know any of this before I started. You know, you don't spend your married life looking at divorce laws. Oh, I should find out what happens just in case I get divorced one day. So I talked to my lawyer. He said, there's three things you need to, to settle, which is property, if you own a house, which was our case. Uh, financial assets, those are the house. One parent buys the other half, half from the other parent, or you sell it and split the proceeds. 
You split financial assets unless you had a prior agreement since you were married, 50-50, 50-50. And then you decide child custody. So everything's 50-50 until you get to custody. I'm like, but why? So that was the kicker in the whole system. It delayed the whole process. It's a tense situation anyway. You introduce childcare as an option for both to play as a card in the divorce, and that gets dangerous. So we had to hide everything from the kids because we couldn't tell them, oh, which week will you be with mommy? Which week will you be with daddy? It depends. We couldn't settle the house because obviously, I think in our case, we both wanted to keep the house. But if I was only going to see my kids every second weekend, I don't want to keep the house for every second weekend. So it delayed the whole divorce process, added additional tensions, created additional uncertainty for the kids. And the basis of that was it wasn't 50-50 as the default starting point in terms of childcare. And there's a thousand reasons why 50-50 won't happen in reality, but legally it's the starting point. And then there should be a reason to deviate from it. And if it had been like that, our divorce would have gone a lot quicker. There would have been more certainty for the kids. There would have been less stress on us. And it probably would have contributed to a more healthy post-divorce relationship. And so my message is simply that, make the law equal as a starting point. The judges will always have the last saying. The most important thing is that the starting point should be gender equality and parental equality. And then things can be introduced or adjusted. Divorce is a dramatic life change at the time it happens and for the rest of the lives for those involved. And it leaves a trace and has a long, long-term effect on children when they are eventually adults themselves. And in order for these changes to be introduced, you need courage. And courage is contagious because upon courage, other virtues rest. But in order to take the initiative, you must truly look after the interests of Luxembourg children. There's more Luxembourg children under the age of 12 that will be raised in broken families and in fatherless homes than ever before. We can set example for the rest of Europe. We are a small country and we still cannot protect the, the rights of the children. And we can. All you need is courage. From my personal experience, I can confirm that the moment that 50-50 residence alternate or equal physical shared custody was introduced, Although the communication between myself and my ex-wife is not the best, almost non-existing, the children are much better off than they were before. Before, I was allowed to see my children every second weekend. Now, they have a very clear schedule. I was also allowed to see the children on two separate afternoons for three hours. And they were always stressed out. They had to go back, which Tuesday it is, which Thursday it is. Now, I pick up the children on Monday afternoon, I drop him off on following Monday morning. Then my ex-wife picks him up. They know exactly that one week they are with the father, one week with the mother. We live 250 meters from each other. Although it's not ideal, it's the best you can have post-separation and divorce. The conflict of communication should not be the reason to reject the idea of 50-50 resonance alternate because the resonance alternate removes the kind of instrument that one of the parents can have an instrument of blackmail, an instrument to use against the other parent. Children are the most important element, and we should protect them. We can. All you need is initiative and courage. Thank you, Patrick. Andy, have you any final thoughts? I, I just think it's ironic, uh, Luxembourg celebrating the fact that they have a seat on the U UN Human Rights Council this morning, 
And my message would be just physician, heal thyself. We have this big global responsibility for the next two years, which is a great chance to show Luxembourg, as Patrick just mentioned, in a light that a lot of people won't know. And I think the issue we're talking about today, locally, domestically, is an issue that people don't know. I mean, people I've talked to this week says the same thing. They're not even aware that this is an issue or, oh, I thought that was fixed in 2008. So if we're looking at human rights on a global scale, which Luxembourg is going to have influence on for the next two years, take care of your home country in terms of ensuring equal rights for parents as part of that process. And safety too. And let's hope that shelter for men and boys will be created also. Thank you both for your time this morning. Thank you, Lisa. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Bye. Thank you.